Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the FCPA Compliance Report. First, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? You wanted to talk about something in the compliance or compliance-related field, but really had no idea how to get started? Take a listen from our sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. In this episode, I have back Erica Salmon-Byrne. Erica is with Ethisphere, and she talks about the 2019 World's Most Ethical Companies Awards, which were recently announced and will be handed out next week in New York City at the Ethisphere Conference. We talk about some of the raw numbers, but more importantly, what are the findings show? And what Erica and Ethisphere have demonstrated that there's an ethics premium for companies that uh, have uh, robust compliance programs and its performance founded in purpose. It's a fascinating exploration, which I know you will enjoy. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back with uh, not only one of my favorite guests, but one of my favorite people in compliance, Erica Salmon-Byrne, and she is with Ethisphere, and we are talking about the release of, or at least the announcement, rather, of the 2019 World's Most Ethical Companies. So, Erica, first of all, uh, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to visit with me. Absolutely, Tom. It's always a pleasure. It's our annual conversation about the WMEs. Well, I hope it becomes more than an annual one because uh, you've got some great information here this year. I uh, just kind of note some facts that there are 128 companies that are on the list in 21 countries and 50 industries. Uh, I'm not going to name them all, but those are all uh, information that's available on the Ethisphere site that we're going to link to in the uh, show notes. But what I wanted to visit with you about, uh, Erica, is an article you wrote in LinkedIn entitled The Ethical Premium Performance Founded in Purpose. And what were some of your findings and observations from the data of this year's company submissions? Absolutely. So, um, uh, Tom, you know, first off, uh, I too hope it becomes more than a, uh, an annual conversation because it's always a pleasure to speak with you. But so I, there were a few things that really stood out to us this year in the, the WME companies. You know, as you know well, we have been tracking the financial performance of WME companies for the better part of a decade now. And we're doing that because we believe very strongly that companies that do well, uh, or that do good rather, also do well. So um, that there really is no disconnect between doing the right thing and succeeding in business. And in fact, there is a very solid business case that those companies with solid cultures and strong ethics and compliance programs and good governance practices in the long run are going to outperform their competitors. And that's exactly what the data is telling us. So this year's class Over the course of the last three years, we saw they outperformed the major U.S. large indices by 10.5% and by 14, a little more than 14% over five years. And so those are extremely strong financial returns through a variety of different kind of permutations of the market that really tell us that this correlation that we've seen over the course of the last decade is continuing and indeed only growing um, as as companies uh, begin to take advantage of the cultures that they've built. So uh, for all of you out here that are listening um, to the podcast, 
and are trying to decide how do I build a business case for investment in my program inside my organizations, this kind of data is exactly what you need. And it's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about it. Uh, on well, a personal, Erica, before, yeah, go ahead, Tom. Before you go on, uh, I just have to say when I saw this number, uh, I was stunned. To get over 10% to me seems something that uh, I didn't think I would see. And I've been tracking this for uh, many years, but this is just a stunning number for the three-year ethics premium and something that I think you are uh, accurately articulated. This is something that you can take directly to senior management as solid information. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, This is the first time that we've really consistently seen numbers in the the double digits, and it's, it's very exciting. Uh, and and so, you know, one of the questions, Tom, that I get all the time is, great, you showed me the correlation between the, the being on the list and the financial performance numbers. What's the causation, right? What it, what actually explains this number and this outperformance? Um, and, you know, I'm going to be honest with you and with your listeners, as, as you've heard me say before, um, we're not entirely certain exactly which specific piece of, of what we look at is the causation. I think it's a mix. I think it's, you know, legitimately a couple of different factors. But I thought I would call out at least a few for your listeners and um, at, for you know for them for them to ponder inside their organizations. One is the WME companies this year are more diverse than every other metric available. So if you look at um, if you look at the the board members of the the uh, WME companies, what you see is that women hold over a quarter of director positions, and this is very striking when you compare that to the gender gap of other sort of groupings of organizations. So the S&P 500, it's only 21%. Um, In a big survey that Deloitte just did, you know, they do their women in the boardroom study every year. um, And that was 7,000 companies and women were only 15% of board seats. Uh, And so if you think about that in the context of all the research that's out there about the, um, the risk conversation that, and the, the benefit that diversity brings to those kinds of dialogues, um, that's a, you know, that's, I think that's one piece of the causation soup that goes into that correlation. Um, and we saw the same thing if you look at the leadership teams of the companies that are on this year's list. Um, well, a quarter of the average honorees leadership team is comprised of women. Um, whereas, you know, a CNN money analysis that came out a little while ago uh, shows that women hold just 5% of CEO jobs in the S&P 500. Uh, and so if you think about the, again, that benefit of bringing diverse voices and diverse thoughts to the conversation, and, and that's just, you know, sort of the gender diversity component, but that's definitely something that has stood out to us and that we're going to be talking about a lot because we really think that that's a key piece of, of that causation uh, that, that underpins that correlation that you see in the ethics premium. The other piece is, you know, there's been a lot, I've been talking a lot and and uh, reading a lot about um, the component piece of trust that goes into this. And particularly here, I'm thinking about the trust that employees have in their employer. So if if you've been following some of the conversation around the data that came out from this year's Edelman Trust Barometer, one of the things that we saw is, once again, uh, my employer, the company I work for, was the most trusted entity for most uh, individuals around the globe, 80% of the folks surveyed in the United States said that they trusted their employer, which was considerably higher than any of the other sort of institutional measures that the the Edelman folks uh, ended up finding. And I think this plays into this idea that, you know, I have faith in my employer to treat me fairly, to um, uh, make sure that the work I have has purpose, and that I'm going to get up and get out of bed in the morning and go somewhere where I feel like I'm doing something that matters. 
And that really plays into, from an ethics and compliance perspective, the idea of transparency and authenticity. So one of the things we see right now is we're seeing, you know, amongst the honorees over the course of the last five years, there's been a very steady uptick in the number of companies that have figured out how to comfortably share stories of things that have actually happened inside their organization with employees, you know, very often stripping out the identifying data, but saying this really happened here and here's how it happened. So let me take this kind of esoteric concept like the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, or let me take an esoteric concept like a conflicts of interest prohibition on giving your cousin a job when you're the one hiring to fill that position, right? A lot of people don't necessarily know how to translate that into the role that they play at the company. And so that storytelling piece, um, it can be tremendously impactful. And what we see now is 91% of the companies in the data set say that they're using stories uh, as part of their communication and training initiatives. And, you know, I just know from personal experience the kinds of the kind of impact that that storytelling can have. So these are really, I think, some some stunning uh, findings, not stunning that you found them, but stunning in the way that companies can these uh, use these as actionable items uh, going forward, particularly the the trust component, because there's so many levels to the trust, and you and you touched upon some of them. Uh, obviously, uh, a speak up culture, raising your hand, standing up, but yep. that's goes far beyond simply ethics and compliance and a hotline or Me Too. That also allows a company to improve. And improve itself. And when a problem come up, comes up, whether it's an operational problem, whether it's a manufacturing problem, or uh, a more serious, uh, perhaps Me Too, or discrimination, or uh, code of conduct, or policy and procedure, that it can be uh, rem- remedied before it becomes a full-blown either legal issue or hugely reputational damage. And that foster that kind of culture. And I noted in here, you talked about the State Streets Global. Um, mm-hmm. letter on the importance of aligning corporate culture to corporate strategy and uh, with the, the, some of the commentary that's coming out about doing just that, I think it's going to take uh, compliance really to evolve to a different level of not only business process and not only rules and regulations, but really putting this uh, trust component back in companies leading to greater profitability. Yep. Yep, exactly. I couldn't agree with you more, Tom. You know, the one of the things I always remind companies of is a speak-up culture isn't just a speak-up culture about things that have gone wrong, right? A speak-up culture is, hey, I've got a product idea, or I'm really concerned that this client is, you know, is that the the, the, the relationship with this client is going off the rails and what can we do to fix it? It's, um, you know, being able to sort of bring your whole self to work and contribute in a way that makes you want to stay there as opposed to go work for the guy down the street. And so, all of those pieces play into this. And I think, you know, I think one of the most, one of the reasons I love being in this space right now in particular is because we are starting to have a conversation about the fact that ethics and compliance is, is, is a, a pillar that supports a strong culture, but it's not about just the rules, right? The, the, the place where you end up making the best connection with an employee is when you take the time to explain why the rule matters, right? Why does this exist in the first place? Why am I asking you to do this thing that seems kind of counterintuitive? And maybe you've got a slightly better idea of how I can make this process work better for your particular part of the business. And that keeps it dynamic. It keeps it growing with the organization. And it allows companies to foster that kind of environment where employees bring things up when they're resolvable as opposed to, you know, when you have to call in, when you have to call in the outside folks. Erica, we're near the end of our time, but I was wondering if you could give a few words about 
uh, the world's most ethical awards dinner and the conference that Ethisphere is putting on uh, to celebrate not only compliance and ethics, but these companies as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks, Tom. So um, we are, we'll be holding our, um, our annual uh, World's Most Ethical Companies Gala Dinner, um, where we get an opportunity to celebrate with the individuals, uh, the individual companies that have made the list. And as you know, Tom, you know, ethics and compliance folks don't always get a lot of chances to celebrate. So it's always a very festive evening um, where everyone feels like, you know, their their work is being acknowledged. And, and it's a it's a really wonderful chance to, to have that kind of enthusiast, enthusiasm about the work that, that we all do. Uh, and then we'll have our Global Ethics Summit um, uh, do immediately following that, the, the next day and a half after that. We've got some great sessions on this year's agenda. I'm super excited. I'm moderating a session on organizational justice and why fairness matters at work. Um, we've got sessions on how to update your uh, workplace harassment policies and investigation processes. We're going to have a conversation about why it's so important to build a great working relationship with your comms folks. Um, so lots of, of great agenda items. Everything, of course, will be recorded and posted to our YouTube channel um, after the conference is over if you can't you know, happen to join us in New York. And then we're going to be doing a series of data insights uh, releases over the course of the next several months. So we've got our first cut at it is coming out next week. We're going to talk about things that we saw in written standards. So uh, innovative and exciting things that companies are doing with their codes and their policies. Um, my favorite little tidbit that I'll give you as, a, as an early one is rollover definitions in a PDF policy. So instead of having like a super boring definition section in your policy, you put the definition as a rollover on a particular word. Um, and it just makes it easier for employees to find what it is they're looking for because they don't have to, you know, sort of blank scan over the definition section. So, th so things like that. Um, and we're going to be talking about transparency and authenticity and, and culture in that insights release as well. We're going to have a separate release on some of the, the interesting things that we found from a program resources and structure perspective. So, who are you reporting to? Are you in executive session with the audit committee? What does your staffing look like? Budget numbers, things like that. We'll do a whole separate release on how to train your managers. So lots and lots and lots of insights coming from us over the course of the next several months. So if uh, if you you don't if you're not already keeping an eye on on our stuff, then uh, I definitely recommend that you do so. Well, Erica, I really want to thank you for taking the time uh, to visit with me today. I wanted to get this out before the conference. So uh, kudos and have a great conference. Thank you so much, Tom. And and uh, and when we when we do that, the next couple sets of releases, um, let me know because I'd love to come back on and talk further with you. Absolutely. Thank you. This is Tom Fox again. We're going to link in the show notes to Erica's article about the premium, the ethics premium. We're also going to link to information about the Ethisphere Global Business Ethics Summit, which will be held in New York City. Also, the link to Erica's article on the ethics premium. If you'd like more information on Ethisphere, you can also check out their website, which of course we will link to as well. I hope you'll join me again next week where I have a fascinating interview with Andrew Beto. Andrew is a whistleblower attorney who takes KETAM and federal or rather False Claims Act cases. It's a fascinating exploration of a case that Andrew was involved in that resulted in a very large settlement with Walgreens under the False Claims Act. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.